If someone were to challenge you with saying that you cannot know the truth, or that there is no such thing as truth, or all truth is relative, would you be able to respond to some of those challenges? Do you realize that they're self-defeating? Join us on The Real Issue Podcast as we learn how to respond to these challenges and a whole lot more. Listening to the Real Issue Podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg. I want to thank you for listening. This week, we've been um, really uh, pondering on our material. Last week, we shared with you about uh, the whole idea of whether or not believing in absolute truth was narrow-minded. I'm going to springboard off of that this week. As I shared with you, I think I mentioned it last week, that we're going to look at some uh, self-defeating or uh, you've got to look at some self-defeating statements that people will make. Not too long ago, like a couple weeks ago, I guess, well, no, it was actually last week. I was talking with a young man where I work, and um, he was telling me uh, that, well, you know, hey, you, you really can't know the truth, because everything is a matter of perception. Now, I'm not going to get into where the starting point of truth is. I know that if you're a presuppositional Christian, or if you really believe the Bible like I do, you want to go and start with the Bible, and that's not where we start. We start with the fact that you have the senses. If you're a parent, say, for example, you're a parent, and do you remember you know, how your child first learned what things were? Uh, whether things were hot, things were cold, whether things were soft, things were hard, uh, somebody was mean or nice or whatever. You know, all those things are picked up by the senses. And, you know, we really operate, our culture today really operates on the senses as far as feelings. You know, you talk to your average young person today, and a lot of it is based on uh, emotions and feelings and experiences. And of course, you know, uh, emotions are important and feelings are important and experiences are important. However, when you really start to get to the bottom line of truth, as I shared with you last week, the truth is that what is that which corresponds to reality. Today, you got kids going around saying, well, hey, you know, there's no such thing as truth or or truth is relative and it's not absolute or that's true for you and not for me. Paul Copan has written a couple books on that, as well as Greg Kokel and Francis Beckwith, who wrote a book um, a few years ago entitled Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. That book is still in print. You may want to get, grab a hold of that. You also might want to grab a hold of Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, 
um, which is a book on how you can have a conversation and, and be able to do it with gentleness and respect. Now, on our blog, you know, if you followed our blog, um, we're actually getting some uh, great reviews. Thank you for those. Um, but on our blog, we've been talking about truth for years. And we've been talking about, you know, this whole thing about the law of non-contradiction, which is where this whole whole thing comes in. And, you know, when you when you think about that, um, you know, you have uh, people in the church that might be wondering, well, you know, hey, is truth absolute or relative? And um, whether or not... Uh, um, if I'm being nice, if I go and I start going and confronting somebody who believes in relativism, how do we respond to that? Well, this is what we're going to talk about today on The Real Issue. And, and what I want to do first is I want to define for us what a self-defeating statement really is. Now, you know, when you hear a self-defeating, hear of a self-defeating statement, you know, we talked about the law of non-contradiction where you cannot have a a statement that's both true and false at the same time. This is where this whole, this fundamental law of logic comes in because we're going to start learning to turn the claim on itself. I'll talk more about that in just a second. In fact, I shared with a small group what I'm going to share with you, so this is still fresh, and I might um, uh, share some things that uh, uh, we shared last night, but uh, we'll see how the Lord works it out. But a self-defeating statement, is a statement where it is is one that fails to meet its own standard. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, it is a statement that cannot live up to its own criteria or um, cannot live up to its own standard. Now, let me give you an example. If I were to say to you, I cannot speak a word of English, Let that sit for just a second. <laughs> you say, Rob, what's going on? You just spoke in English. Precisely. Or if I were to say to you, my parents did not have any children that lived. Or my brother does not have any surviving brothers. Those are, those are examples, that, as corny as they are, those are statements that are what we would demonstrate as self-defeating. But, you know, when you go and you look at um, self-defeating statements, how do you identify them? You know, we have to be able to identify a self-defeating statement. Well, first and foremost, what you need to understand is that you need to listen to what people are saying. And a couple assumptions that I want to bring in here is that, and, and, and this is my help us stop being intimidated by the fact that we need to confront these things. I want to bring this right on the forefront of the, of the front of the show here, is that number one, just because somebody says something doesn't mean that it's true. You can say, well, Rob, how do we know what you're saying is true? Check it out. Okay. Secondly, we need to remember that those who make statements as solid as they are, or as goofy as they are, or totally illogical as they are, unless they let you know that it's a really goofy statement, they're just joking around, 
and that they would really believe it. Other than that criterion, they believe those statements to be true. Uh, just a few seconds ago, I, I, I shared with you that I, I ran into a guy at work who said that uh, you cannot know the truth. That perception equals reality. Now, remember, I shared with you last week, the truth is that which corresponds to reality. But what he did was he took an emotional, experiential, affective term like perception and tried to put it in the context of reality. And you can't do that. So what happens is he believes that statement to be true. And because he believes that statement to be true, then there's a whole bunch of ramifications on this that you really have to understand. For example, if he says that, you know, everybody has their perceptions and they bring them all together and that there's no way of knowing the truth because the perception is what is true for them. Is there really any way that you can know the truth? And when I say the truth, I'm talking about that which corresponds to reality and coheres with a serious uh, a series set uh, or a set of facts that correspond that that cohere together and ultimately correspond to one particular point that's being made. You see what we're saying here. So. A, a self-defeating statement is one that does not live up to its own. So if what we need to do is we need to learn to turn the claim on itself. What you do is you listen to the statement and, and you, you turn the claim on itself. Let me go back to those statements that I started with. Like, for example, if I were to say to you, I cannot speak a word of English. Well, you obviously, uh, you could see that there's a problem here. I told you in English that I cannot speak a word of English. Pretty simple, right? The important thing to remember, though, with a self-defeating statement like this is the fact that a self-defeating statement just totally self-implodes and it's false. There is no way for those statements to be true. Just like you cannot know the truth. We'll talk about that in just a second. And this is because it violates the fundamental law of the law of the, the fundamental law of non-contradiction. So you see where this is gonna go. So what we'll do is we'll look at a few of these statements, we'll go to a break and we'll come back, and then I will uh, share with you some of the others, and then we'll talk about the attitude that we need to take whenever we are involved in conversations where we have to address these self-defeating statements, because I'll tell you, that's very important. Well, um, so when we look at these self-defeating statements, let's look at the first few. If somebody were to say to you, there is no truth. Now, remember the assumptions. The assumption is that if the person says there is no truth, they believe that statement to be false? <laughs> no, they believe that statement to be true. So if someone says there is no truth, or uh, 
there is no truth. This statement cannot be true because the person that makes the statement that there is no truth believes that the statement is true. So they believe that statement to be true, and you cannot deny something without affirming it. So you might be able to respond like something, well, if somebody says to you there is no truth, you can go and say, well, you know, um, I appreciate you believing that, but is that statement true? And, or, or you can also say, well, how do you know that? That's, that's another way that you can, that you can look at that. Uh, someone says there is no truth, or uh, somebody, second one is like along the lines of it, you can't know truth. Again, that person is making a statement that they believe to be true, and that makes it a truth claim. So then you can go and say, well, then how do you know that? Because if you cannot know truth, then you would never know that you cannot know truth. And this person is claiming to know the truth, that we cannot know the truth. And so this is where you could just say, well, you know, hey, how do you know that? If someone says to you, thirdly, uh, no one has the truth. This person is claiming to have the truth, that no one has the truth. And if no one has the truth, then the statement, no one has the truth, is also false. So then you can say, then, um, if uh, you say that no one has the truth, then how do you know that statement is true? And, you know, folks, people actually believe this stuff. And, and you know, the whole, the whole thing is we live in a culture that has been duped by relativism. And it's getting worse because now the graduates that were getting, the, uh, the students that were in college that were getting relativism shoved down their brains are now in the workforce. So if you know somebody that you, you're a co-worker, your co-worker says to you, you've had a conversation in the past, and then they go and they make a statement like that you had gone and done something, you can go and just say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. And they would have to accept it. Because if they don't, they're hypocritical. And that's the problem with relativism. That's where we get to this next one. It's true for you, but not for me. Now, folks, this statement is self-refuting because it claims that truth is relative to the individual, but yet at the same time it implies it is objectively true that something can be true for you but not for me. So you can say something like that of, is that true for you or is that true for everybody? Because the person making the statement, that's true for you, but not for me, they're going to have to take that statement and it would have to apply with every conversation that they make with everybody. If somebody goes and challenges their truth claim, that, um, that it's true for you, but not for me. Is that true for everybody? And of course it's not. So it's like if you went... If you go to the bank and you ask for $100,000 and the teller tells you that your account does not have the amount that is available, 
you look at that person and you say, well, that may be true for you, but not for me. Someone, something cannot be true for one person and not true for the other. Or something can be thought to be true for one, and it may be false, and it's not true to the other, because the other is living in reality. Well, let's go to a break. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll have a couple commercials. I think we'll probably have the same ones from last week because they apply to our topic today. Thank you for listening. If you're a skeptic and you're skeptical about uh, what you're hearing right now, thank you first and foremost for um, listening to The Real Issue. We really we really appreciate you being here and, and, and indulging what we have to say. Uh, if you do have any questions, uh, we'll have uh, information at the end, but I want you to be able to get it in case you decide not to listen to the rest of the show. Uh, you can reach us with any questions or objections to anything that you hear at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. I'll be also posting this, some of this material up on my blog post, my next posting. I've got it about half written. So I'll share more with you about that when we get back. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. The famous question, what is truth? Yes, Pilate. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. <laughs> it's ironic that the truth was standing before him. He didn't recognize it, but truth is what corresponds to reality. Truth is telling it like it is. Truth is what matches its object. Um, if I say I have a red shirt on, it's true because, in fact, there is a, a red shirt there that I can point to. Uh, truth is telling it like it is. If you don't tell it like it is, it's an error. If you do tell it like it is, it's true. How do we know that's a definition of truth? Because not only is that what philosophers have uh, discovered the nature of truth is, but you can't deny it without affirming it. If you say, well, I don't think truth is telling it like it is, I'd say, was that telling it like it is? You just told it like it is, saying you don't need to tell it like it is. Uh, you can't avoid philosophy being a correspondence view of truth. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Frank, is truth true for you, but not for me? I always hear that, and I usually say, is that true for everybody? Is true for you, but not for me, true for everybody? Because if true for you, but not for me is true for everybody, then true for you and not for me can't be true because it's true for everybody. <laughs> I know that can give you intellectual constipation, yeah, yeah, but that's good. because it's self-defeating. It's actually, there's an easier way of illustrating this. True for you, but not for me. Say, sure, go try that with your bank teller. Go to your bank teller one day and say, look, I'd like $100,000 out of my account. The bank teller looks at your account and says, I'm sorry, sir, you only have $47.16 in your account. That's easy to get the money. Bobby, you simply say, that's true for you, but not for me. Give me the hundred grand. Are you going to get the money? No, you're not. 
If it's true, there's only $47.16 in your account. That's true for all people at all times and all places when referring to your account at that time. It's just true. And by the way, it's true that Jesus rose from the dead. If he really did, that's true for all people at all times and all places. If he really did. Of course, it's not true if he didn't rise from the dead. And I think the evidence is quite strong that he did. So saying it's true for you but not for me may sound good, it's the mantra of our culture, but it's self-defeating. It's logically self-defeating and it just doesn't work. Sounds like you're trying to say that truth corresponds to reality. I am, I'm actually (laughs) trying to say that. we're back you know I was thinking during the commercials I probably need to go back and uh, look at that all truth is relative and everything is relative and just share something that else something else that um, that came to mind Um, during the break um, I was thinking about this you know if somebody says that all truth is relative or everything is relative it reminds me of something that I, I heard Ravi Zacharias say years ago was that does the statement itself include itself or exclude itself? Because if it, the statement includes itself, the statement is false because it self-implodes. If the statement doesn't include itself, then that statement is still false because uh, everything else would have to be absolute as well. So. Um, that's another thought. The other thing would be, um, you know, if somebody says that all truth is relative, then every or everything is relative, then you could respond with, well, is that relative to? Is that statement relative to? And that's one of the things I wanted to bring in here. Um, also, uh, just let you know before we get to the next ones that we are involved in a small group study dealing with the top five objections to the Christian faith. It's a local uh, study. If you are interested in that, you can email us at Real Issue Apologetics if you're local in the Spotsylvania, Stafford area. Uh, We'd love to have you out. I'd have to check with the host, and uh, I'd have to check with Charles and see if uh, he would be good with that. But uh, we've started discussing that a little bit. We'd like to see our group grow a little bit. Uh, we have about six to eight people, and we can have as much up to 20. Uh, we had that potential last night, but some people canceled out. So um, if they don't, we don't meet every week, but there are weeks, and we can put you on the list and let you know when. Uh, we are meeting. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Also, um, if you'd like us to come and speak at your church, 
we'd love to do that as well. Uh, you can go to our my website uh, at roblundbergapologetics.com and you can see the link at the top, Book Rob, and uh, you'll get some drop-down links and, and then we can walk in that venture together as well. Um, let's move forward now and deal with the statement that is very, very popular. Um, you know, this statement, we've, we've looked at it, and, uh, you know, it's true for you, but not for me. You heard Frank Turek uh, use the $100,000 uh, illustration, and that's where I got that when we first, before we first started going there. I want to come back and visit this one as well. Um, when we were in upstate New York, I was in seminary up there, and uh, there was a, one of our youth working at the local Walmart. He's one of the professor's kids there, and, and uh, he ran into a, stu uh, a fellow co-worker who said that numbers are relative. Numbers are not absolute. So two plus two would not equal four in his book. It might equal four some places. Well, by the way, I don't know if you saw the movie, uh, the video that's out there that it made the rounds on Facebook. Two plus two equals twenty-two. This would be the uh, the, the 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 example that this um, person laying down this objection that numbers are not absolute. You know, somebody says two plus two is four. Somebody says two plus two is twenty-two. It's kind of comical, and it's totally dead wrong. But <laughs> nevertheless. Uh, I met this young man at that time, and he didn't believe numbers were relative. I said, um, how much do you make He's uh, on a weekly basis? I make a $300 check per week, so I take home, say, $600. I said, okay. I said, that's pretty good. I said, do you cash the check or you put it in the bank? He said, well, I uh, cash it a lot of times if I need to buy something. I said, well, let's assume that you cash it. And you go to the bank teller, and the bank teller doesn't believe numbers are absolute either. And this is the converse of what Frank was saying in his illustration, the illustration I gave you before uh, the break. Let's say that the, the bank teller believes the same way you do, that numbers are not absolute. And you give them, let's say you, you have a $300 check, and they give you two seventy-five. dollars how would you feel about that? No, I wouldn't agree with that. I said, well, remember all the tellers behind the counter believe the same way you do, that numbers are not relative. I mean, numbers are not absolute. You're with me? He said, yeah. I said, so you go to the next teller, and it gets worse. And then the third teller, since there's only third, three tellers on, on a Saturday in the, at the bank, because people cash in their checks, and they, it gets worse. And I said, are you going to want the $300? Are you going to accept the same premise that no numbers numbers are not absolute, but they're relative, and you're going to take what they give you? You should have stuck with the first teller. He says, I guess numbers are absolute. You see, when you start messing with people's pocketbooks or their physical health, it reminds me of that, you know, with reference to that's true for you, but not for me. If, if somebody were to go, come up and... Uh, let's say that you have a professor who says this. I wouldn't encourage this by any means because the professor holds the mic and you've got to be respectful even though you can respond to him or her. But let's say somebody says, that uh, your professor says, there's no such thing as truth. Everything is all relative or that's true for you but not for me. Go up and step on their toe 
And if they tell you, hey, you weren't supposed to do that, that's wrong, well, you could just go and say, well, that's true for you, but not for me, and see how that works for them. Like I said, I'm not expecting you to do this. I don't want you to do this, but you get the idea. Okay, this is just an illustration. Please don't go do this. Okay, but um, let's move on. There's no such thing as absolutes. And this is like the conversation that I had with um, uh, my, my customer's son. No such, there's no absolutes. I looked at him, I said, is that absolutely true? Uh, true? Or are you absolutely sure about that? And he said, yes, I am. Well, you don't have to go too far on that one because, you know, again, somebody who makes a statement that they believe to be true, really believes that statement to be true, whether it is true or not. And, you know, when you, when you think about that, I'm making some absolute statements. You're hearing somebody at the other end with your earphones or through your stereo speakers or your your car your car speakers if you're listening to us while you're traveling and somebody says to you there's no such thing as absolutes or there are no absolutes. And when you have somebody that says after you respond with are you absolutely sure? And they tell you, yes. How many contradictions are there? Do you realize that whenever you and I say yes or no, we're making an absolute statement of positive or negative uh, as far as right, wrong, must, ought? I know this goes back to the, you know, the, the truth talk. But this is important here when you start dealing with the statements like there are no such things as absolutes or there are no absolutes. You're absolutely sure about that. And do you really want to follow that path to where it leads? I don't think, I don't think that living that life, that type of life, is something that one really wants to to walk through. One of my um, groups that I like listening to because I like hearing the 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 pulse of the culture through their lyrics, even though they're I don't think they're active right now. Is a band called Lincoln Park. You're thinking, Rob, you like Lincoln Park? I said, I I like hearing the lyrics. I like hearing the lyrics because it's a reminder. You see, there's three levels of argumentation. You got level one, which is argument or logic. You've got level two, which is drama and the arts. And number three, you have what is called kitchen table talk. When you look at drama and the arts, you have um, a sense of getting the pulse or the philosopher or the idea of what is coming from the artist to see what the, where their heart and their mind is. And that's what I like about Linkin Park because they're honest. Um, they're honest. They were honest in that. And the song, What I've Done, is one that um, goes back to um, looking at all the ills that have happened in culture and wanting solace, wanting... Uh, 
forgiveness, wanting mercy, let wanting mercy to fall on me, as the lyrics, as the lyricist would say. You don't want to live in a relativistic world and think that you're going to get away with it because one, you're going to be hypocritical on certain things, on certain decisions, and you're going to be having to wrestle with living that out at its basis. Western civilization has not survived um, the, the 20th century. Friedrich Nietzsche said that the 20th century was the bloodiest, would be the bloodiest century uh, of Western civilization, and he was right. And now we're wrestling with relativism. Here's another one. Uh, this one falls in line with um, science. And when somebody goes and says, only science can give us truth. Now, this one will drive you nuts because you have people out there that are anti-theistic that actually believes that science is the only way you can prove truth and that faith is one of these things where it's either faith or science. I'm going to do a show on that later uh, down the road, but... Uh, just to give you an idea here, you cannot test that statement itself scientifically using the scientific method. You see, science has several things that it cannot uh, prove scientifically. There are certain things that you cannot prove scientifically, and that one is logical propositions, metaphysical propositions that, that there's one mind speaking through a microphone to other minds that are listening to this show. It cannot prove ethical, it cannot prove aesthetic, and it, that statement also cannot prove itself scientifically, using the scientific method. And let me just remind us that science doesn't say anything, but scientists do. So you see how uh, that, that statement totally, um, totally fails miserably. You know, by the way, I think um, the, the scientific uh, community has a lot of people who believed in God that first got some of the disciplines of science uh, started. It, folks like Alton Lister with, uh, um, with uh, antiseptic and, and Gregor Mendel with jet genetics and, and so on and so forth. So science can um, give us some truths. And that's where we use our natural senses of sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. But when you start looking at it from the perspective that there's got to be something inside of us that pushes us for more knowledge. That's where Albert Einstein and, and Hubble got together. Where Hubble shared in his telescope that the universe had a beginning. Einstein did not want the universe to have a beginning. But that's another uh, presentation. So um, somebody who goes and says to you, I, I kind of chase rabbits, as you, as you can tell. But I think the rabbits come back, back on the trail here. Um, let's go and uh, look at the last three here. One of those is you should not judge or the dreaded judge not. Folks, this is not just something that um, we could do a whole show on this. But... Judge not, 
or do not judge or you shouldn't judge. You hear it from Oprah. You hear it from all these others. And you hear it from well-meaning Christians when it comes to some volatile moral issues of our day that, hey, you shouldn't judge them. That's their choice. What? Their choice? What? Wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. A lot of times what happens is when somebody says that you should not judge, they are making a judgment of you for judging. And if you are judging me and you're telling me that I shouldn't judge, that that you're being judgmental and I'm the one and accusing me of judgmental. See the vicious circle that happens here? Um, somebody who says that, uh, is it wrong to judge? No, well, you know what, folks, we make judge we make judgments. And that's not wrong, as long as we remember one maxim that is often forgotten by Christians. Judge not, lest you be judged. Verse 2 of Matthew chapter 7, For in the way that you judge, you by the, by the same standard, you will be also judged. Lundberg, loose paraphrase. A lot of times what happens is we like to take passages out of context to try and support our, our, our premises, and it does not work. And then, then here's, the, here's another one. Someone who says, and this can be a whole show too, that you uh, should not force your morality on me. Uh, in other words, um, not only should you not judge, but don't push your morality on me. Do you realize that when you and I go to the polls, that this person is who makes this statement saying that, hey, Rob, don't push your morality on me, is actually making a moral point of view themselves? And that the person forcing their moral point of view is, is that it's wrong to force a moral point of view. You know, what you can say to this one is then don't force your moral view that it's wrong to force morality. You realize that when you and I go to the polls, we are, uh, are um, voting for legislators that line up with our moral choices. So when you and I go to the polls and you vote, guess what you're doing? You're voting for your moral choices to be legislated. Don't push your morality on me. See how it works out? So, you know, when you when you look at this, um, it's, it's, it's hypocritical. No other way of putting it. And I'm not calling you a hypocrite or anything like that. I'm making a statement. I'm making a statement of the statement, that the statement itself, as you can see, relativism does not wash out very well. So, I mean, when you look at, like, uh, you should not judge or judge not, or you shouldn't force your morality on, on people, um, when somebody says that, they're making, a moral, they're making a moral statement themselves on that one. Or that you should not judge, they're making a judgmental statement. You see, you, so you see how those things work out. Okay, number 10, and this is our last one, and I'm going to get to the attitude of all this before we wrap this up. But somebody who says it's arrogant to claim to have truth, the claim of being that to have truth is arrogant to claim to have truth, that statement is also arrogant as well. 
Therefore, he is arrogant. He's the arrogant one. Finally, just what you need to do is just on these, all of these that we talked about, turning the claim on itself. For example, there is no truth. Is that true? Uh, or is, do you believe that true? Uh, you cannot know the truth. Then how do you know that? No one has the truth. Then how do you know that is true? All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth as well? And of course, you know, we talked about that's true for you, but not for me. Is that true for everybody? There are no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure about that? We talked about science. Shouldn't judge. Don't force your morality. You know, you, if you, somebody says that, uh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't judge, that's a judgmental statement in and of itself. And you can go and let them know about that. And then, of course, you should not force your morality on people. But the last one here is arrogant to claim to have the truth. Like I said, people believe the statements that they make. And this one here totally blows up in the fact they're making a claim that you and I are arrogant of, for claiming to have the truth. But who's the arrogant one? Let that sink in for just a moment. You know, our attitude in how we engage in these statements, we folks... We have to look at it as Peter tells us, set apart Christ as Lord in our heart and be ready always to give a reason for the hope that we have with, catch this, gentleness and respect. And folks, hopefully this, this show has given you an example where we've, we've gone and be able to do this. Folks, we need to be able to converse conversationally Communicate what we believe if you're a Christian. And we need to be confident. And I think this is what skeptics really, really appreciate about, appreciate about Christians who are confident and compassionate, yet loving to them at the same time and, expect, and, 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 and treating them as persons with dignity and respect and intrinsic value. And this is something that our ministry really, really, really pushes as far as the, the apologetic engagement. Folks, we need to be loving. We need to be uh, truthful. We need to be confident. But you know, as confusing as some of these statements people make are, and how we, we can go, as long as we listen, we listen to the words that they're saying, and we engage them right where they are. Now, mind you, that you might not make forward progress in the conversation, but what have you gone and done? You've put a stone in their shoe to make them think about it before they close their eyes and go to sleep the night that you, the night of the day that you had shared that with them. Just remember that. Because, folks, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And what we need to do is we need to communicate with gentleness and respect why Christianity is true. Thank you for listening to The Real Issue Podcast, the podcast arm of Rob Lundberg Apologetics Ministries and The Real Issue Apologetics Ministry. Uh, those are the one and the same ministry. We're not schizophrenic or multiple. We don't have multiple personalities, um, depending on the venue. Like I said, uh, the, just before we went into this segment, if you'd like us to come to your church, and um, you uh, 
you can go to bookrob at roblundbergapologetics.com. If you'd like to make a donation to help us in reaching people with the gospel and equipping churches and equipping the saints to engage the to the believer to think, to equip the believer to think and engage the thinker to believe. That is our mantra, basically. Um, what you can do is go up and, and on our website at roblundbergapologetics.com and uh, join our team because you are a valuable team member if you go and you do that. If you give us, if you give us a donation, we will send you a, a, a PDF of this talk uh, that we gave at a local uh, local small group last night. We'll send that to you as well as some resources. You just give us your email and uh, let us know that you've helped us uh, in, in, in this and uh, we will be grateful. We'll, I want to thank you in advance. We um, are really looking to make a push to be doing this hopefully uh, three-quarter time or full-time eventually. Uh, we would love to be able to meet up with churches, to connect with churches, to come alongside churches to help their people because, folks, things are not getting easier. And if you are actively involved in evangelism and you find out that uh, your evangelism program needs some tweaking, we definitely love to come and help you tweak that. Uh, we offer seminars and workshops on how to engage some of the tough questions, and we, we involve role-playing. So if that's something that you'd like for us to come to your church and do, uh, we would definitely love to uh, be able to do that. Uh, again, you can go to bookrob at roblundbergapologetics.com. So until next week, this is Rob Lundberg from the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry and roblundbergapologetics.com. Uh, thank you for listening. If you do have any questions, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Until next week, go out and be his ambassador. But more importantly, make sure that everything you say has the freshness and the, and the, the fragrance of heaven as you go out and give them heaven. Lord bless. We'll be back with you next week.